0: Hello,
1: everybody, and welcome to another edition of Sports Talk with Tonsoni. I'm your host, Brian Tonsoni. Welcome to the Delphi Bracketology edition, where we will be talking news and information about NCAA basketball. Hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to another edition of Sports Talk with Tonsoni. I'm your host, Brian Tonsoni, and on behalf of Delphi Bracketology, we have a special guest with us tonight. Kerry Miller from BleacherReport.com out of Charlotte, North Carolina, has agreed to join us and talk bracketology, and uh, we're very glad to have you, Kerry. Thanks for uh, joining us tonight for this uh, discussion.
0: Hey, you got it. I'm glad to come on. Uh, I love what you guys are doing. I I wish I had a a bracketology group back when I was in high school.
1: We kind of fell into it, Kerry, as a, just a discussion here at in Indiana, where Indiana-Purdue was uh, four years ago, and we decided to do a little research, and it's been a, a treasure to find out the process. So how did you get started doing bracketology? And, and share with our listeners how long you've been involved in this.
0: Yeah, I've been doing it since I was in high school. So like I said, I wish there was a, a club for it. Uh, all My only options were chess club or the newspaper, I think. But uh, yeah, it was a lot of fun um, trying to figure out how it worked. Um, you know initially when I started, I kind of disregarded RPI and and focused on the AP rankings because I didn't know what I was doing and gradually kind of figured things out. but um, when I was in late in high school, early in college, I used to always try and come up with these statistics to figure out who should advance in the tournament like, the best one I ever had was probably average margin of victory times conference RPI. I don't know why that worked out, but that, that got me all four uh, final four teams one year. But eventually, I decided to go the other way and try and figure out who actually deserves to be where. And that became an an obsession of mine. Um, after college, I was a data analyst for a couple of years. So, you know, bracketology kind of made sense from that perspective.
1: Excellent. And then and, and so you've been doing this for a while and now what are the things, we all try to guess what the committee is going to do, and we all take the lead from their so-called stated uh, criteria, but for you personally, when you start looking at these teams to seed them, what are the key things for you in, in your seeding process?
0: I mean, for me, it's really kind of ratio of quality wins to bad losses. Um, if I'm ever sort of in a tiebreaker situation there, I know now we've got the the quadrant one, quadrant two, all that stuff, but Um, you know, even back when it was just top 50, top 100, whatever, I always felt like, you know, three quality wins could make up for one bad loss, something like that. So that was always the perspective I kind of went into it with. Um, You know, obviously, the more, uh, more challenging schedule you have, the more opportunities you have for those quality wins. And that's why we always end up seeing the, you know, major conference teams up top. But, um you know like you said we're we're trying to guess what the committee is going to do more so than what we think should be done um but i know there's been a push in the last couple of years for more you know ken palm bpi those type of metrics i i'm wary about that a little bit because my theory is if we go towards margin of victory stuff more you'll have more really weak non-conference schedules as teams just try and kind of fudge those numbers and we'll see where it goes from here. But I think the quadrant thing is a step in the right direction. Cause that's sort of already how I tried to do it. You know, giving a little bit more uh, credence to road wins and neutral wins than home wins. So I'm glad they finally took a step in the right direction there.
1: Yeah. I, I agree with you on the metrics. It's, there's a fascinating thing about the the metrics, but you can, you can game that just as much as you can gain the RPI uh, with, Margin of victory and who you schedule and, and if you can hold teams to lower point values by scheduling down and there's no schedule strength or schedule factor then your defensive efficiency and offensive efficiency can really be adjusted uh, on some of that as well. So well, let's get right into it, Kerry, and, and talk about yep. what everyone's going to be talking about is seeds and we're going to break it down and we're going to talk about seeds uh, one through four. Uh, I'll leave it up to you if you want to run down those or you just want to. Talk about some interesting uh, seeds. I think we, all of us have the the three seed the three top seeds in somewhat order: Xavier, Villanova, and Virginia. And then it gets sure. to where you can maybe have some differences. So share with us um, your thoughts on your first four seeds.
0: Yeah, even that it, it always seems like the fourth number one seed is always comes down to you know Saturday of championship week. Um, right now, I think it's pretty solidly Kansas. I thought it was them even before um, they just blew out Oklahoma was it a 30 point win. Not that that matters as far as the RPI is concerned, but that was a, a nice statement win for Kansas. But, um, you know, I think the most interesting team on those top two lines is Auburn. I cannot believe Auburn is up there having lost D'Angelo Purifoy and um, Austin Wiley before the season began, you know, all the FBI mess surrounding them. I don't think, Anybody in their right mind would have guessed that Auburn would be a, a top eight team uh, right now. And I actually have them at number five overall. So if Kansas had lost to Oklahoma, Auburn would have been my fourth number one seed, which just still blows my mind, even though we're now three and a half months into the season.
1: And, and they lost uh, one of their bigger guys uh, um, just this week to a broken ankle or dislocated ankle, too. So now their front line's going to. Be relying on a freshman. I, I read the article and the name's escaping me right now, but that is a surprise team. We also have Kansas. We had Kansas up for the reveal based on just quality wins, and, and we were wrong. Uh, <laughs> we, we made a discussion between Kansas and Purdue and we voted in our committee. It was six to four uh, for Kansas, but uh, I think Kansas has worked their way back up. Um, interesting. What do you think about North Carolina? Uh, they were. You know, they, they have uh, seven losses and they have a Tier 3 loss, but uh, boy, they have 10 wins now, I think, in Tier 1. Are they moving up in your rankings?
0: Yeah, they've got a really strong resume, if you can just forget about that home loss to Wofford, which I think the um, in that top 16 reveal, the committee was clearly unable to forget about. I thought North Carolina had a better resume than Duke at the time, and not just because they beat them head-to-head a couple of days before that, but... I was surprised to see Duke ahead of North Carolina. Um, I thought the Tar Heels were around like the eight or nine range at that point. I think right now I have them at six or seven, pretty solidly on the two line. Um, They have picked up a couple of quality wins since that top 16 reveal. Um, I know they they beat Clemson and Louisville, I think, were, were two of the big ones. So that's obviously, aside from Pittsburgh and like, Boston College, pretty much everything in the ACC. If you keep winning, you're going to keep getting quality one wins or quadrant one wins. So, you know, Duke and Virginia and North Carolina all looking really solid right now as top one or two seeds.
1: Uh, I, I agree, and I even – I have a hard time putting North Carolina behind Duke right now, even though I think Duke's playing well. How do you deal with a team like Cincinnati with the numbers in the tiers are nice, but when you really break down and look at – um. The, the spots or the slots within Tier 1 and Tier 2, uh, they haven't beaten teams that other teams have beaten.
0: Yeah, that's that's one of those teams where, because we're focusing a little bit more on these advanced metrics, Cincinnati the last few years has really done this, where they schedule just a garbage couple of first four or five opponents and beat them by 40 points. And I, I know at one point they were, I think, seven in uh, on Ken Palm and like 48 in RPI. I think that's a a testament to how much they're kind of gaming the system there with the advanced analytics. And that's the main reason that they are looking like a two or three seed right now. I think I have them at 11 overall, so closer to a four than a three. But um, losing at home to Wichita State over the weekend, losing at Houston um, before those two games, I think they were Still, kind of legitimately in the conversation for a one seed. If they, you know, if they had won both of those and happened to lose to Wichita State on the road, um, they would still be in really great shape. But I think now, you know, they're the, kind of the house of cards is starting to fall out from underneath them now that they're picking up some losses.
1: And then we also have teams like Tennessee, Texas Tech, and Clemson uh, in this 3 4 range that can go either way. Um, what have you done with Texas Tech here with a, a couple losses lately?
0: Uh, I think I still have Texas Tech at 12 overall so they would be my bottom number three seed um, Still looking good. I really like how they've played all season. I know the eye test is just something the committee kind of says We can't really qualitatively evaluate that but um, you know in in mid-January when they lost Zach Smith for the season and kind of struggled a little bit after that I think the committee will, maybe downplay that a little bit and just look at how well they've been playing lately. Now that Keenan Evans, um, I know he's hurt right now, but they were playing well uh, when he was really hitting his stride. Um, He had like 38 points against Texas, I believe. Um, So from a, you know, how far they could go in the tournament perspective, if they get healthy, I really like them. And from a resume perspective, um, you know, another league, even more so than the ACC, if you win 12 games in the Big 12, that's 12 quality wins. So they're going to have a really strong resume, um, regardless of how healthy they are heading into the tournament.
1: Uh, Have you had uh, a little difficulty finding your last two uh, top four seeds? Um, we have West Virginia and Wichita State, Ohio State and Kentucky are right there at the top of the five line. I think we can go either way. Uh, where are you leaning?
0: I think we're we're in agreement there. I have Wichita State, Tennessee, Clemson, and West Virginia as my four seeds, or at least I did uh, when I did my last bracket Tuesday morning. I guess that may have changed a little bit, but I know West Virginia beat up on Baylor on the road, so they certainly wouldn't have gone down since then. Um, Clemson lost to Virginia Tech, though, so maybe they have dropped off the four line at this point but haven't done a, a fresh bracket in the last 48 hours. But, yeah, the – The interesting thing to me about the four line this year is that really the only team in the conversation for the top four seed lines from west of Oklahoma is um, Arizona. Maybe Gonzaga uh, could get up there if they keep winning, but it's kind of looking like you'd rather be the top number five seed than the bottom number four seed because you're like, Right now I have Wichita State in the West region um, and playing in Boise, I believe. So why would they want that geographically? You're almost better off dropping a game in the tournaments.
1: (laughs) That's an interesting point. So let's move to the five through eight seeds. And here's where our listeners need to know that if if you're in this business from five to eight and eight to 12, it gets to be really kind of confusing depending on uh, the criteria you're looking at. I do think that there's some teams sitting on the five line that are somewhat uh better than the rest but you can make an argument for a lot of teams so uh what what are you thinking in the five six seven and eight range
0: and these are the the seeds that really screwed me in the bracket last year uh i got all 68 teams in but like the five through 10 i was just all over the place uh i had a really busy week with bleacher report and didn't have time for proper scrubbing and it it killed me i didn't do so well in the bracket matrix last year but yeah, these are the seeds that, you know, usually are the the toughest to distinguish between because, you know, so many of them have, you know, three or four really good wins and two bad losses or something like that. I mean, you know, a team like Oklahoma right now that I still think they're in the like seven seed range, even though they're 16 and 11, I think. I mean, that's the team everybody's arguing about, mostly because everybody's talking about Trey Young, but you know, what do you do with all the quality wins they had the first two months of the season? And now they're sort of sort of falling apart. Uh, you know, the committee has explicitly stated in the last, I guess it was five years ago, they got rid of that last 12 uh, measurement for, you know, that that doesn't appear on the, the team sheets anymore. So how you're playing heading into the tournament, in theory, doesn't matter that much anymore. And from the full resume perspective, Oklahoma is still in much better shape than a team like, like an Arkansas or a Florida state. So I think they're still in the conversation for that five, six, seven range. If they can you know, avoid going zero and three the rest of the way.
1: One of the things our committee and our group is really struggling with is uh, the Rhode Island's, the Gonzaga's, the Houston's yeah. uh, mm-hmm. where to properly place them because we, the record looks good. Uh, a couple of those teams have some pretty good strength of schedule. Houston does not at two I'm looking at our spreadsheet right now. Um, but you know, are they are they five seeds, six seeds, seven seeds? I think that's gonna be a key to getting this bracket matrix thing correct. And and I don't know that there's really any science to to placing them. It's gonna to have to go by feel, I I think. What what are your thoughts about teams like that?
0: Yeah, I forget if it was uh a few guys I was tweeting with the other day where I feel like you just get to a point where you get sick of putting in teams ahead of Gonzaga and Saint Mary's and Houston, you eventually just slot them in, even though you know it might be a team that's like 6 and 7 quadrant 1 right above a St. Mary's that's 1 and 0 quadrant 1 and then a 4 and 5 quadrant 1 team right below them it's just so so weird dealing with the the vast differences in schedule strength but that i think that's you know every year i, I think we got a little lucky last year that you know Wichita State was really the only one in that conversation because Gonzaga was clearly a 1 seed and there really weren't any other um teams from these kind of mid majors in the conversation this year, it's a lot different. There's a ton of them and it feels like, you know, all of the teams in the nine to 12 range, um, you know, have like three or four bad losses. So how do you compare that to a team with, you know, one really good win and maybe just one or two bad losses. Those three teams are definitely going to be tough. Uh, Right now I've got Gonzaga as a five. What do I have? Houston as a seven. I have St. Mary's out at the moment. Um, losing to what was it San Francisco? Mm-hmm. I remember back in November when they lost those back-to-back games to Washington State and Georgia. At the time, you know, everybody jumped on Twitter and was like, "Well, St. Mary's isn't making the tournament as an at-large unless they beat Gonzaga a couple of times." And they kind of made up with for that by winning one game against Gonzaga. Now they just gave it away by losing two in a row. So I think they're going to be more so than any other team the one to. Um, you know, really watch because they play the the West Coast Conference Tournament is always one of the first ones finished. And then we just kind of watch teams bypass them as the major conferences go on.
1: Yeah, we're finding this interesting. You have some teams with lower tier one wins, but really strong schedules and good records versus teams with 11 losses and really strong strength of schedule and six or seven wins in tier one. It's it's a combination that's really throwing us like I'm looking at Michigan. We, we have Michigan up on the sixth seed, but they're three and five mm-hmm. in tier one. We have Arizona state on the sixth line. They're three and four and you drop down. Oklahoma's got six wins. Missouri's got six wins. And so, uh, and they don't have bad strength of schedules. That's, that's something that we're flipping around here with. Uh, and we're trying to go deeper in when we look at the team sheets more than just the numbers of course. Uh, But uh, those are the interesting things. And um, how are you dealing with some of these 10, 11 loss teams with two weeks to go? I'm I'm looking at Alabama, who looks good one night and doesn't look good the other night. (laughs) You got Texas A&M, Missouri, Oklahoma, you already mentioned. Those are teams that have really good wins, but they have a lot of losses.
0: I feel like the whole SEC really belongs in that conversation. I mean, Florida is now somewhere in like 65 range in RPI, but they've got like six quadrant one wins. LSU, I think, is like seven and five against quadrant one, or at least they were when I put together my bracket on Tuesday, but they've got 11 losses. They've got some ugly losses. So I think it's just a a product of the SEC intentionally scheduling a lot tougher in non-conference play this year Uh, with the exception of Mississippi State. They apparently didn't get that memo, but I think that has helped the league as a whole. And now you see like, Every SEC game is at least a Quadrant 2 opportunity, if not Quadrant 1. So any team that's even 8 and 10 in that league is going to have more Quadrant 1 wins than any Big 10 team, any Pac-12 team. So those are the tough ones to distinguish between.
1: You you know, I'm old. I'm going to retire here in about five years. But I think us bracketologists need to be hired in Division 1 basketball to figure out and help coaches schedule. Uh, Yeah. You know, you're... (laughs) Seriously, I mean, and and there's a little bit of luck involved too. You can schedule someone who you think is going to be in the top of a smaller conference and then they have an injury and they end up going, you know, 10 and 14 or something like that. But uh, you need to be scheduling in that 100 to 250 range and hope that the the schedule works out for yourself because the goal is getting into the tournament. Uh, And I really, I personally, since I've been in this for four years now, I get a little perturbed at all these uh, announcers saying oh that's a tournament team and this team's only lost seven well play somebody uh <laughs> yeah, and, and i coach high school basketball so I, i'm a coaching standpoint to play somebody uh our, our schedule's really tough at the high school level our record's not good but we play a lot of good people and it, it helps us get better but anyway that's that's for another time so let's go down to uh the real tough thing the bubble which really the bubble's probably seven and eight seeds too because two or three bad losses for teams in the seven and eight might drop some teams. But let's go down to uh, eight, nine, 10, 11, which are your last at-larges for our listeners and talk about some of the interesting
0: cases on those lines. Yeah, the one team for me that has really stood out lately um, kind of streaking into the tournament is Marquette, another one of these 11-loss teams, but they've got a lot of quality wins. Um, they won at Creighton in, in their most recent game, I believe. They swept Seton Hall. Um, you know, just I think they're six and eight in Big East play, though they're not ranked. They have eleven losses, and their conference record doesn't look good. So, people who don't dig into the minutia of the all the you know team sheets look at Marquette as a, a ten seed in my bracket, and they tell me I'm out of my mind. And I'm like, well, you know, look at the teams behind them and tell me why they're better than them. You know, a team like. I mean, we've already talked about St. Mary's, but a a, a Syracuse, why should they be ahead of a team like Marquette just because they didn't schedule as aggressively and because they're able to win some games at home that, you know, maybe um, a team like Boston College wouldn't or something like that. But I I think that, like you said, even the seven and eight teams uh, feel like they're on the bubble this year. Every year we complain, uh, whether rightfully or not, that it feels like the bracket is or the bubble is weaker than ever. I don't think that's the case this year, but I think it is like way bigger than ever just because, you know, if nothing else, we're not really sure how the committee is using this new quadrant system um, and comparing quadrant one wins to quadrant three losses or something like that. So a lot of teams are staying in there. And just since everybody seems to have, you know, maybe a half dozen quality wins and uh, three bad losses, it's just really hard to distinguish between them. I, I really think the conference tournaments, more so than most years, are going to play a huge part, maybe not so much in selection, but certainly the seeding.
1: You know, that's that's a point that uh, we just talked about in our committee that we thought we've done incorrectly the last two years is put put too much emphasis on the conference tournament. And then you make a Mm -hmm. really good point. We might have to this year, but we've, I think, moved people up or down based on, you know, who won the semifinal games or that, uh, because we're all watching in that week. Right. And, and so we made a conscious effort to try to solidify our stuff Thursday or Friday night with just about four or five scenarios. But you make a good point that I'll have to take back to the to the group and, and say, hey, maybe uh, for seeding purposes, um, we really need to look at it. I'm having trouble with the Big East, uh, Creighton and Seton Hall and Butler and Providence. I, I think they're all in. Uh, but in what order, and I go back and forth of flipping them uh, anywhere from the 8, 9, 10 seed range. Your thoughts on the Big East, those teams in that area?
0: Yeah, I'm right there with you. Um, I, don't, I don't know if you know Lucas Harkins, um, but he was tweeting today that uh, um, Creighton has not beaten a top seven team in the Big East since like January 15th or something. Whenever uh, Martin Crampell went down. Seton Hall has not beaten a top six team uh, on Ken Palm in the Big East since January sixth. It's just like these teams are beaten to Paul and Georgetown, and that's about it. And in some cases, they're not even doing that. Like all these Big East teams, I remember around the New Year's uh, bracket projection, I think I had probably six Big East teams as seven seeds or better, and now it's like Villanova and Xavier and everybody else has just completely fallen apart. Um, you know, even until. Uh, just a couple days ago I still had Creighton as like a sixth seed and now I look at them again I'm like well this is a bubble team what the heck happened here I think that's just you know all across the Big East uh, you know St. John's all of a sudden starting to win games isn't helping matters there (laughs) either but um, yeah aside from Villanova and Xavier it really doesn't feel like anybody's solidly in from the Big East but I do feel like They're going to get six teams in. It's just a question of who those four bubble teams will end up being.
1: I I think Creighton's probably the most vulnerable right now as I look at it, and maybe then Providence, those two teams. uh, Providence lost today in the suspended makeup game. Uh, What are your thoughts on a couple teams on our bubble we have in? By the way, we have Marquette and LSU in. Uh, Me too. Good job. (laughs) Right now. so um, And that's just one of those where it's like, man, the numbers show it. uh, You look at who they beat, shows it, and then you don't see a lot of people doing it, and you start questioning yourself. But at some point, you just got to be a little cocky and say, hey, we know what we're doing. Let's go with it. (laughs) Right? Uh, Let's talk um, three teams. Um, Washington uh, has some really nice wins, Um, but that's about it, and they've been fading. And I know it's a body of work. We've talked about that. We have Washington as the top 11 seed. Uh, What are your thoughts on
0: Washington? I I have them out right now. Um, I know they have, I think they have four quadrant one wins, but then really not much behind it. And that was kind of my problem with um, Syracuse or Virginia Tech. One of those teams, I think it was Virginia Tech, that had like one really good win and, or no, excuse me, North Carolina State, that's the one. They beat Arizona on a neutral court. They beat Duke. They beat Clemson. They beat North Carolina. But there, weren't anything, there wasn't anything behind it. So it was like just four kind of anomalies on a 27-game schedule. Now that they've added a couple of decent wins behind it, I feel like they're pretty solidly in as like a 9 or a 10 seed. But Washington doesn't have those you know supplementary games yet, and they have a couple of bad losses. So even though they, I know they won uh, against Arizona and Arizona State uh, off the top of my head, I don't remember who their best non conference win was, but it was Kansas. Um, they beat oh, yeah, Kansas. Duh, Kansas. Yeah, that was the huge one. Um, but um, only one quadrant two win, I believe, two quadrant three losses. Yeah. So, yeah, I, yeah, I'm just giving you information you already know. But the, the big thing with them is that they're in the, the uh, predictive analytics, like Ken Palm, they're in the 100 range, which is just crazy. I wanted to write a a piece on Washington maybe two weeks ago, uh, I forget what the exact hook was, but like RPI, Advanced Analytics, and the curious case of the Washington Huskies, because they were like 35 in RPI and 104 on Ken Palm. It's like, what the heck do you do with this team if we are giving more value to those margin of victory metrics? So that's one yeah, team that's, I'm really interested in seeing what happens just you know, in knowing how much more the committee is looking at Ken Palm this year.
1: I, I, I really appreciate it. you just taught us something, um, about the backup wins, because I, I think I refreshed the RPI thing this morning and they have five tier one, but they only have one tier two. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I do think, I do think that matters and they have two tier three losses. And so you, you, we got to look at all of that in comparison. We, we have them on the 11th seed. We have them obviously in jeopardy, uh, what you, what's your take on a team like Saint Bonaventure? Again, another team from not a Power Six conference with uh, okay numbers.
0: Yeah, um, but I've um, in I've got them in now. I think I have them as my top eleven seed. So not not very securely in, but they are uh, ahead of the bubble. Uh, that win over Rhode Island uh, last Friday, whatever day it was, the days run together in February. Um, it was that was huge for them uh, when they lost. I think it was four out of five early in conference play. They lost to Dayton, St. Joseph's, Rhode Island. I forget the fourth one. But right after the fourth loss, um, I had a bracket come out, and I, I had St. Bonaventure as like my fifth team out. And I said that they basically need to win every remaining regular season game to get in, and thus far they've done that. They've won nine in a row, as long as they don't really stub their toe down the stretch here. And even if they go two and one, because I know that they play, I think, at VCU, at St. Louis, and uh who's the third game uh, i can't recall but it's it, it may be home against davidson i think if they were to lose just one of those games it wouldn't be terrible like a loss to a george mason or a uh, um fordham or something like that but if they can go three and no the rest of the way i think they're pretty securely in uh, if they go two and one just kind of show up in the a10 tournament they should be in still
1: and then we we have um some teams like texas and baylor uh in the big 12. And then, you know, I'm watching UCLA on the TV here, UCLA, Utah right now. Those mm-hmm. are teams that we have out. Uh, we've had UCLA in and out uh, in the last three weeks. Uh, but those teams are kind of battling. Texas is on the downturn. Uh, they both have some uh, Texas and Baylor have some nice number wins. Uh, your thoughts on, on some of those teams.
0: Yeah. Texas, I think I had as his- My top nine seed in my last bracket, but that was before the loss to Kansas State yesterday. So now I'd probably have them in the low 10, high 11 range, even with the 12 losses. I still think because of their quality wins, they'd still be in good shape. I think they're five and eight, five and nine against quadrant one, somewhere in that range, and no quadrant three or quadrant four losses. So that's where, you know, I go back to what I was talking about way back in the beginning, where I kind of look at the balance of quality wins bad losses, and they've got five really nice wins and no bad losses. So that still feels like a tournament team to me when we're, you know, debating teams like a a UCLA or a USC, a USC team that lost at home to Princeton and doesn't really have that many quality wins. Like, why should that team get in ahead of Texas just because Texas played such a tougher schedule?
1: I I agree. And, you know, injuries are a factor, too, that uh, a lot of teams have injuries where players miss a game or two. St. Bonaventure, you know, had their star Mm-hmm. out for a couple games. Uh, I just saw someone uh, pushing for Loyola as an at-large uh, because they had some guards missed during some of their losses. And, uh, y- you know, that that is the committee does look at all that stuff. And that's something that us as a high school group, we probably don't look at enough uh, Notre Dame. It will be interesting to see if if mm-hmm. Colson comes back and what they do. So um, let's uh, jump down. Uh, I don't want to take all of your evening because I could talk to you about 10 hours. I love this stuff. But um, teams that are uh, maybe not even in your first four out, but teams that you're watching that are hanging still in consideration, that might be that surprise team like in 2016, when no one, I think no one in the bracket matrix had Tulsa uh, making the tournament. Who do you think might be those
0: teams? I know that year I had Tulsa as my 10 seed until Selection Sunday, and then I finally gave in. I I think I looked at the bracket matrix too many times. I was like, maybe this team isn't going to get in, and I I blew it. But, yeah, I don't think anybody had them that year. Or the year that UCLA got in and then made the Sweet 16, and nobody thought they should get in. The year Syracuse got in. There's always that one team that shouldn't get in, and then they win two games. And and the committee's like, oh, we did the right thing. And we're like, no, you didn't. But uh, the one team that I'm looking at right now is Oklahoma State. And they are like way down in RPI. I think they're like 90, somewhere in that range. They're probably 75 on Ken Palm. But one of these teams, similar to Texas, that has a lot of good wins. They do have a lot of losses, but no bad losses. So if the committee, you know, really looks at them, sees they won a road game against Kansas, a road game against West Virginia, um, they beat Texas Tech at home uh, yesterday, I believe. Like those are three incredible wins over, you know, potential two, three seeds in the tournament. And, you know, they didn't lose to anybody. Um, They didn't really schedule anybody in non-conference play aside from, I think, Texas A&M. But that's one team that I'm curious about right now. Um, If they happen to win two of their last three games, how much will that help their RPI? How high do they need to get if a team like Syracuse could get in two or three years ago at like 77 in RPI?
1: Here, here's where I think, you know, you said something about the conference tournaments being more important for seating than selection. This surprise team might be the, the one case where selection might be determined on who mm-hmm. makes a run to a semifinal or a championship game and gets those two or three uh, tier one wins along, along the way. And the committee throws them in on Saturday night or, or Sunday morning. Uh, I wrote uh, something in our, uh, on our webpage. We're, we're trying to do some blogging and getting our students to write as well. And, I wrote something today about the number of wins that there's only four teams with uh, two wins that are in our bracket right now in tier one. And there's only 14 total with two or three. So of hmm. the 46 teams that we look at, uh, there are 32 teams with four or more tier one wins. Yeah, and, and so, you know, when you're looking at our bubble teams, St. Mary's one, Syracuse two, UCLA two, USC two, Utah two, Those are our top teams. We're looking at. They need to get some quality wins in order to be in the discussion, in our opinion. But there are a couple teams. Oklahoma State was one of them. Uh, Mississippi State at three and six Mm -hmm. in Tier One, three and two, and no tier, uh, no no bad losses. Their strength of schedule is awful, though, and I think ultimately (laughs) that's going to keep them out. But what do you think about this team? Sixty nine in RPI, Georgia, fifteen and twelve. They are six and seven currently. In tier one wins, and they are three and three in tier two, so they are nine and ten. They do have two tier three losses. That is a boatload of wins, and that reeks to me like that's that committee sitting there wanting to put one more team in, and that's the Tulsa yeah. UCLA. That might be a Tulsa UCLA thing that, and they're so far down on our list now that we're not even talking about them. And I just yeah. found that this afternoon that uh, uh, if
0: if <laughs> yeah, they I go to the semifinals one. or something. I don't have them in my first five out. I don't even know if I have them in my next five out, but they are still in my spreadsheet um, because of those wins. Like you said, uh, I think two or three days ago, I tweeted, like, if you have Providence safely in the field and you're not even considering Georgia, like you need to start over from scratch because this team has a lot of really good wins and just a couple of bad losses. I think they have a very, you know, the actual wins that they have in quadrant one aren't that strong um so i think from that perspective they are you know several lines behind providence but just you know jumping off the page as this team kind of far down there with nine quadrant 2 or quadrant 1 wins is really impressive and if they if they win even you know two more games the rest of the way either regular season or in the conference tournament that's going to be you know they'll be up to double digit quality wins and you know now we're here talking about whether Georgia or St. Mary's deserves to get in. It's going to be a lot like the year that uh, that Monmouth got left out just because they didn't have enough you know, top 50, top 25 wins. I, we'll see. I mean, it does feel like the committee always kind of defaults to the major conference teams over the, the really good minor conference teams. Um, even though Wichita State got in last year, everybody immediately screamed that they were underseeded, and I completely agreed with that. But it does seem like, you know, even if – you're only getting more wins because you have more opportunities because of the conference you're in, that seems to go a long way with the committee, fair or not.
1: Yeah. And, and that'll lead me to my final question, but before that, um, the the tier one wins, we do look at the quality, like a team that beats the sixth best team and the ninth best team is more impressive to me than someone whose best win is uh, 30 um, and, you know, 30 on the road. But I wonder what the committee, we don't know what the committee is going to look at. These tier one were uh, set as important wins. And so even though we look at it, I look at it like a 74 tier one win is not as not that impressive. And I kind of mm-hmm. try to downgrade that. I'm wondering if the committee will say, you know what, it's still a tier one win. And I try yeah, not to that's... look at the names. I try not to look at the yeah. names because I'm more impressed with the Louisville than I am with the Buffalo. And that's really sure. unfair. unfair as well, I think.
0: Yeah, and that, there was one team I was looking at recently. Uh, it was for my stock watch, my bubble stock watch. I forget who it was, but I was looking at the quality of their wins, and they had like three home wins, quadrant one, and they were all against teams in the 24 to 30 range, and they had two quadrant one road wins that were in like the 68 to 75 range. Like by now, they all five of those wins could be quadrant two. Like that's how close they are to the cut line. It's just you never know that's why i would love to see rather than these quadrants where it's still very volatile it just depends on you know what these teams that you played forever ago end up doing on one given night i would love to see it you know average of your top 3 wins average rpi of your top 3 wins top 5 top 10 and then like the average rpi of your top or your three worst losses something to that effect where it's not so not so volatile but you do still get the feeling that Um, a key win late in the season can have a huge advantage for you. Like the games still all matter, but like I said, I I think we're headed in the right direction with the quadrants, but there's still plenty of room to go there.
1: And and that that leads me to our final question is, um, you know, I'd like to see some teams from some different conferences get a chance um, that I think are deserving uh, as opposed to, and I'll just take, I'm a big 10 guy here in Indiana But let's say the Big Ten, on a different year than this year, but got eight or nine teams in. I'd rather see a mid-major than one of our Big Ten teams uh, get in and have a chance at that 10 seed or 11 seed. That's a fan. I'm not talking as a bracketologist right now. I'm just talking as a fan. Uh, There are some really good teams uh, that I believe would deserve to be in at that 10 or 11 seed and go against that uh, 7 or 6 seed and have a chance as opposed to a team that might be eight and 10 or nine and nine in the conference. And I know conference affiliation isn't part of what we do, but your thoughts on maybe including some uh, teams or, or what we can do to maybe not have the focus be totally on the power six uh, conference who do have more opportunities, because I believe a Nevada should be in, I really might believe that St. Mary's should be in, and and I know they need to schedule better, but um, they, those kind of teams deserve to be in. I think sometimes over some of these bubble teams. What your thoughts yeah, on that? From a
0: from a fan perspective, and not from a projecting what the committee is going to do perspective, I absolutely think St. Mary's is one of the thirty six best at large teams in the country. Um, you know, watching them play, they got their. I think they have four seniors in their starting lineup. They have one of the most efficient offenses in the entire country. Like they would put up more of a fight than you know a team like Oklahoma state or Baylor who just barely sneaks in as an 11 seed. I do wish that we could do more to get those teams in. Um, But I mean, the one problem with the whole argument about, you know, Oh, we should, you know, include these two. Every conference has that opportunity. They just chase the money with the conference tournaments. They could just say, you know, Oh, our winner is their automatic bid, but they're, they're not that interested in, getting their best foot into the tournament necessarily. They just want whoever is hottest and get those a uh, few bucks for being on ESPN for a couple of days.
1: Yeah, that that's true. I, I just, um, you know, I as a fan, I, I get the idea you want the best tournament possible and get the best teams in there. And, you know, there are some teams from the major conferences that aren't going to be selected that are better than some of the automatic qualifiers. So technically we, you don't have the best tournament ever when you allow every conference to play in. And so the beauty of it from a, an Indiana basketball, high school basketball where everyone's in the tournament and you, and, and everyone has a chance. I guess maybe that's my bias. is I I'd like to see some of these uh, I'd like to see some spots reserved, either two or four spots reserved for uh, non-power six teams based on the same criteria. You got to be, have high RPI and good tier one wins in order to be invited. If you don't get an automatic qualifier uh, but I think that would uh, make the tournament a little bit more. It's already awesome. Uh, who am I kidding? <laughs> uh, but e- e- for me, even even a little more awesome. So, final thoughts, uh, Kerry, on on bracketology, college basketball, and and, and what we do. Uh, who should we watch? Any any big surprises you think are um are going to happen?
0: Oh, I, I think there's going to be big surprises every single night because that's that's how it's been all year long. I mean. It's crazy. I know the uh, um, Rush the Court does this thing where you pick ten games um, midweek and then on the weekend. And I don't think I've ever gone better than six and four in it because there's just all these crazy upsets every day. Um, but yeah, it's it's going to be nuts. Um, you know, usually at this time of year we at least feel really solid about you know who's going to be in the conversation for the one seeds. Maybe it's like six teams at this point. It still feels like. Ten or eleven teams could get in. Like I have Michigan State as my number nine overall seed. If they win the Big Ten, they're absolutely going to be a one seed. Even though they, they kind of struggled in the uh, um, the schedule making department, they don't have that many quality wins. But so many teams that are still trying to establish themselves, and then just the bubble is such a mess. Like usually by now you can lock in pretty much everybody like eight or nine seed maybe or better. And now like even the six seeds, I'm like, yeah, I don't feel that great about them. They could lose out and be in a lot of trouble. So I think there's going to be a lot of chaos going on. I mean, even just looking back at my projected bracket from new year's when I had Oklahoma and Arizona state in the conversation for one seeds, like, and that was just six weeks ago, like so much more can change in these last two weeks. So it's going to be a fun ride, but uh, it's tough to predict anything in this sport. Well,
1: I appreciate you taking time to talk. It's uh, become a passion of mine in the last four years. And and I really have uh, a lot of appreciation for those of you who write and do this for a living. Uh, I teach. So thank you again for sharing. <laughs> uh, the bracketology world has been great in, in sharing information. And, and we're it's been a, a, a neat experience. And I thank you for being part of that.
0: Hey, you got it. I, I just hope I can finish ahead of you guys this year. Uh, I know I didn't last year, and obviously the year before that when you guys won, I sure didn't. I was pretty good in 2016, but last year was awful. So maybe, uh, maybe find somebody better for the next one. But it's, it's certainly a passion of mine as well. Like I said, I've been doing this since high school, so it's it, it is it is a luxury.
1: Me. Uh, it is a luxury to have uh, 10, 11 minds to, to go over this stuff yeah. and, and double-check your work and all of that stuff. So, no, we appreciate you coming on. And uh, uh wrap it up again, I, I'd like to encourage everyone to look into Project 44 at Butler University, a project for bone marrow transplant registry in honor of Andrew Smith, the, the center who lost his life to leukemia. His, his widow, Samantha, is uh, wanting to get people to register. And if that is in... Uh, your realm, please look up Project 44 at Butler. Uh, Be the Match is the national registry. Uh, and if we can save lives based on this podcast, uh, that would mean the world to me. Uh, Andrew was a, a great player here uh, in, in the state of Indiana. So for Sports Talk with Tonsoni and Delphi Bracketology, this is Brian Tonsoni. We again thank Carrie Miller from Bleacher Report for joining us. Happy hoops watching.